Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we are real people talking about real things, child abuse and neglect, a topic that is all too often left in the shadows of silence, leaving survivors alone, fearful, and oftentimes without a voice. We're having conversations to become louder than silence. It is here where we will invite you to join us and be the change needed to end child abuse and neglect. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Louder Than Silence podcast, where real people are having real conversations. My name is Lori Polins, and I'm the executive director of the National Foundation to End Child Abuse and Neglect. Today's remarkable guest is my dear friend, Terry Coons. If you haven't listened to the first podcast with Terry about where he's come from and where he's been, uh, pause real quick and, and head back over there to, to listen in, or we will also give you a, a quick recap uh, to bring you up to speed um, about where Terry has been. And today is part two of that, and, and that's the middle, that's the middle part of Terry's story. And I think there is, there's no part of Terry's experience, just like the rest of us, that is any less valuable than the other parts. I mean, there's, there's, no, um, there's no more goodness in the end, air quotes, than there is in the beginning, air quotes, because without the beginning, the middle, and the now, it's hard to even know what we would be or how we would be. So, you know, even in my own experience, I find that I have gratitude for my trauma and my abuse experience, which angers a lot of people, especially my family members for saying, Um, however, without it, I would not be here. And I know that. I would probably be in banking or business of some sort. And and while I did try that and I was very good at it, it was so boring. <laughs> this work is life-changing for me and ideally and hopefully for millions of others uh, around me. And so Terry gets to be a part of that and I'm honored to know you, Terry. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Lori, again. It's uh, indeed an honor. My involvement with you has been life-changing. Um, just as a quick recap, I um, went through a situation during my life as a little boy where uh, I was seeking the love from my father that um, unfortunately he was unable to provide because he had been a victim of abuse himself. And I became, I was a needy child and ended up getting involved through a friend, through his father, in a relationship where um, the, his father was a child pornographer and we became involved and photos were taken and videos and, and this went on for a number of years mm-hmm. and uh, until I was um, uh, at one time uh, raped, tortured, um, went through a horrific, horrific time which ended it uh, but it created in me physical issues, problems, struggles and far more than physical, uh, mental, and emotional. Yeah. I, um, I was scarred because yeah. I had never told anyone uh, and actually lived with this secret for 30 years almost. Yeah. Uh, a little wow. over 30 years. And I began making horrible choices. Uh, money became my God. That's how I felt good about myself. Because yeah. I had always, in my mind, described myself as being uh, damaged goods. 
Uh, I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't capable of being loved. Uh, I was unlovable in my mind. Yeah. Uh, anyone that had had what happened to me as a man, uh, as I even grew up, I, I'll never tell anyone I'll take this secret to my grave. And it led to me, um, wanting to feel better about myself and went through drugs and alcohol. And, uh, but like I said, my primary sexual addiction, you name it. If it, 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 it had an A after it, that was me. Yeah. Was addiction, that was me. And um, that's how I coped uh, with this secret. Um, I lived uh, for years having uh, nightmares um, that I would wake up in the middle of the night screaming. It started happening shortly afterwards. And my mother would ask me, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I, kept the secret to myself and this mm -hmm. continued into adulthood and I, I would eventually learn when I went into counseling that I was a victim of and suffered from PTSD um, yeah. and so through this process that eventually I ended up and made some horrible choices and ended up in federal prison and which is uh, basically where we are today where we were talking in this second segment um, I had never been in jail a day in my life had no idea what anything about that I was 44 years old when, older than Lori is now. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I have four years, I think. Um, yeah. And uh, I walked into a world that I had never dreamed of. I had seen things on television, uh, but with such a lengthy sentence, um, I was in a relatively high security level. Um, only because of the sentence, I you know, had no history of violence or anything like that, but because of the amount of money involved and such and the way the federal system, prison system works, I was, um, I walked into a world that I didn't know existed. And um, when I first got there, I, I went through incredible depression because I looked at how long the sentence was. And when you're finding out, you're seeing people getting stabbed walking around the wreck yard and seeing people uh fights and gang issues and i didn't fit in that world i was a 44 year old man that had been a multimillionaire. Yeah. Um, and now um i mean i had done so many things lori's aware i'd had a film studio i had all of these things that i thought made it made me feel better mm -hmm. uh, and i thought made me look better in other people's minds and in, yeah. in their eyes so now I have to figure out how to survive. And um, I quickly learned that if you are intimidated and if you cower, you're on the way to being an abuse, continued abuse victim. Um, I have seen things in prison that are horrific. But mm -hmm. what happened is that at one point I decided, okay, what am I gonna do with all of these years? Am I, am I going to go take a sheet and hang myself? And I said, I couldn't do it at times I wanted to. I, did, yeah. I really truly did at the beginning, but I had two sons. Uh, I, you know, my wife understandably had divorced me, but I had two boys. Could I do that to them? And I said, no. Um, and I didn't want to do that because I, I felt, I knew I was reasonably intelligent. I, I, I believed I had still value that I could provide to society in some way. But I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do? So one day you have to have a prison job. And I uh, walked into the education department 
And I said, I need a job. And they said, well, what's your educational background? And I explained to them and, and I had done very well and was you know, reasonably educated. And they said, well, would you consider tutoring men to get their GED? And I first thought that GED, <laughs> I mean, I, I was thinking, maybe I'm gonna teach college classes. I, you know, yeah. I, I was still at that point in my mind that my ego was a little yeah. bit more inflated. Right. Than it <laughs> Humility was everything I've gone through. I'm thinking, yeah. you want me to help someone do <laughs> sixth grade math? Right. Uh, mm -hmm. But I finally thought, well, you know what? Nobody needs it more than these guys yeah. do. Right. And something I began to learn was um, all of these, some of these, I mean, really Our tough core. guys yeah. were hurting were hurt. Right. And what I can tell you is the number of people in prison and in jail that have been abused, neglected, either sexually abused, physically abused, is astronomical. Mm -hmm. and, and this is something that society doesn't understand. Right. They, they or acknowledge. Exactly. Yeah. They think that Oh, well, you committed a crime. It was horrific. You should be locked up for the rest of your life. And, and so many, especially among men, yes. we don't talk about it. Right. We keep it to ourselves. And just what happened to me is what happens to so many. Anger and frustration builds up. And believe me, I tell everyone, what happened to me in no way caused me to commit my crimes. Because there are people just like you, Lori, who go through horrific things and become an achiever. Mm -hmm. So it, what happened to me didn't cause me to commit my crime, but what did happen to me caused me to look at life differently, caused me to make uh, different choices. It caused me to begin to feel I was entitled in mm -hmm. some way. And I looked back on my life as I was going through this in prison, and I saw that was part of when I was seeking all of this money. I, I rationalized in my mind, I was raped and tortured as a little boy, tied to a bed. I'm entitled to money. Yeah. There are weird things that go through our minds. When you begin to think irrationally, you do irrational things, which led right. to where I was. But it, again, in prison, so I decided at this point, that I needed to do something productive. So I said, okay, I won't teach calculus. <laughs> Give me sixth grade math. And that's something began to happen inside of me. And it was part of my healing. I didn't know it at the time, but I'm looking at some of these men, tough, been through things. I mean, there were a lot of violent men in there and became so thrilled because they got 90% on a sixth grade math. Right, yeah, that's a major and, achievement. Exactly. And, yeah. and I spent time working with, there were so many people that are completely illiterate, helping them to read and write. And I kept saying, there's value in these people. I saw yeah. what was going on. And it began to cause and stir in me and say, okay, this is how I'm going to do my time in prison. Compassionately. I'm going to do something to feel like that when I walked out, um, it would make a difference. And when I finally end up leaving prison, 
uh, one of the greatest accomplishments I feel I have, I helped 163 men in prison get their GED. Wow. Which, Congratulations, Terry. That is amazing. I, I am proud of that because I still have contact with some men that got out and got jobs and it still thank me because awesome. you, I mean, you need a college education in reality, but if you don't have a GED, if you don't have a high school diploma, you can't even work at McDonald's. Right. So, and you can't go to college. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, that's what began to happen. But then during this process, uh, I should mention right before I went to prison, um, I was in marriage counseling at the time. And I had, um, there was uh, our marriage counselor. We were going over things and I was being, as I always was, wouldn't open up emotionally, wouldn't say anything, wouldn't talk about anything. And one day he had asked me, he said, Terry, I need to speak to you alone. And uh, so we, I made an appointment and he said, Terry, were you ever sexually abused? Were you ever physically abused? And of course I denied it. I've been, I've been denying it for 30 some years, suffering from nightmares from it, but I was denying it nonetheless. Right, right. And he said, you're getting ready to go to prison. You're gonna your life is going to change dramatically. You need to heal. And you are never going to heal. And I still get emotional at this time because somehow he knew, he, he was a Christian counselor. But be it faith or whatever, he said, Terry, I know you were sexually abused. I can tell I've seen it over again and over again and over again. Yeah. And that was a breakthrough because I finally. Somebody heard. It and I cried like a baby and I had anger. And, but that started it for me. Yeah. So when I went to prison, I was very blessed, Rory, in yeah. that I had... Um, this doesn't always happen, but I had um, some uh, loving, caring psychologists, uh, psychiatrists that looked at my history, because it all came out when I went at my sentencing. Uh, yeah. Everything would happen. I had doctors that were there on my behalf, you know, stating you have to take into consideration uh, what this man has gone through his entire life. Uh, didn't really help, <laughs> but, um, but it started this process where um, I was open to continuing. I needed healing. I needed that in prison. Well, and I think if I can interrupt here as we wrap up the second segment here, um, I think what the theme that I'm hearing, Terry, is the power of being seen. Absolutely. And it sounds to me like somebody saw you, this therapist you're describing, Right. And then, and that permitted you to be seen by others, and there, therefore you reached out and, and sought support in your sentencing. And then even then, when you went into prison, instead of hiding in the aggression and the violence and the carrying forward that same shame cycle that so many people do, specifically perpetrators, right? When we feel shameful, we hurt others. Hurt people hurt others. And we know that the majority of people who were once abused do not grow up to become abusers, but the majority of abusers were abused. Exactly. What we don't know is the difference. And I'm wondering 
my my theory and what you've described here today also you know um, possibly supports that theory is that when people feel seen we have the ability to find compassion and to and to change our direction Absolutely. one of the, my favorite things that i i heard in this last couple of years is somebody said Forgive me if I screw this up, okay? Because I don't know. I don't. I'm not always great at reiterating specifics. But somebody said something along the lines of, "If you're going to New York City, and you change in by plane, and you change your your direction by one degree, one degree, you end up in D.C." And and to me, I thought that was so profound that right. sometimes it's not about the present moment but it's about that just subtle slight change that changes our end destination. And what I hear from the 168 men, I think is the number, that you helped get their GED and, and the thousands of men I know that you have talked with and shared your experience, strength and help with, and you've helped through your sobriety and through your your sharing of your story and and so on and so forth. I know I would get I would guess I don't want to say I know but I would guess that 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 therapist seeing you whether he was a fellow survivor or whether he was an educated professional it doesn't matter. He saw you, he and being seen allows us to feel. <sighs> alive again exactly. just alive exactly you, know, you feel dead you feel dead to truly when you're living under the household of a secret exactly it's so hard to be alive because you're trying in every way you can to maintain this facade and the facade is only as good as the acting Absolutely. And we always need new props to help keep the act up. Hence why we become addicts or we get mental illness or we get diseases or we have chronic chronic issues or, or we be, you know long for control in any area because we're needing more props to keep up this act. Right. So the power of being seen, the power of having a voice, the power of um, coming out of the dark and into the light, being louder than silence. Terry, you are truly an example of that. We're going to stop here with our second seg segment of our interview with Terry Kuntz, a dear friend of mine. Um, we'll be back for our third and last segment shortly, so please Check it out at the Louder Than Silence podcast. I'm Lori Poland. I'm the executive director of the National Foundation and Child Abuse and Neglect. And our fabulous guest today is Terry Coons. Thank you all for being here. I want to thank each of you again for joining us today and listening in. If you or someone you know is being abused, please call 1-800-4-A-CHILD. To learn more about ENDCAN, visit www.endcan.org or find us on all social media platforms. Join us in being louder than silence and being a part of the change. Please leave a comment, like our podcast, or share with your friends. The more the word spreads, 
the more of a collective impact we can have. If you have a question or you know someone who would want to be a guest on our podcast, please contact be the change at endcan.org. Thanks again and have a great day.